0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants.
1: James Bond and Major Amasova, you have certainly been persistent very well. Now your curiosity can be satisfied. Both crews aboard, sir. Missile unload completed. They have already been given their targets. At 12 noon, they will have reached firing positions. Within minutes, New York and Moscow will cease to exist. Global destruction will follow, and a new era will begin. Submarines one and two, commence departure drill. All right, Stromberg, you've made your point. How much do you want? How much? Whatever do you mean, Mr. Bond? The price for not firing those nuclear missiles. You're deluded, Mr. Bond. I'm not interested in extortion. I intend to change the face of history. By destroying the world? By creating a world. Today, civilization, as we know it, is corrupt and decadent. Inevitably, it will destroy itself. I'm merely accelerating the process.
0: That does not justify mass murder.
1: For that, Major, I will accept the judgment of posterity.
0: Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, July 30th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right wing, it's just right. Colour into black and white, under the clothes, everything will be alright. Well, the James Bond villain in our show opener today insists that he is merely accelerating the process of destroying the world by creating a new world, a new normal, if you will, through mass murder. I've become pretty much convinced that those continuing to push the COVID-19 government narrative are no different, or perhaps even much worse, as we'll hear later in the show today, than any mad Bond villain out to take over the world. And you'll find out why I've arrived at that startling conclusion right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of our social media links, and archive broadcasts. As always, consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of our 52-page, full-color publication, Climate Essentials, written by one of our regular guests, Dave Plum. had this item forwarded to me by listener Bill T. (laughs) And it was just a quote. Quote, I asked my doctor how long this virus will last. He said... How should I know? I'm not a politician. And <laughs> quote. Well, of course, the real joke is that left up to politicians, this COVID-2 virus will last forever. Sort of how they would like their own powers to last. There have been so many developments over the past week on the COVID-19 front, I wasn't sure which direction to take this week's show, particularly after last week's announcements, worldwide, it appears, not just in my own community, of mandated mask wearing in indoor public spaces. For no reason. All over an expected second wave of a pandemic that has never really even had a first wave worth measuring. We've reviewed the stats and the evidence both locally and globally, and none of it matches with anything that our politicians are saying and doing. Legal or not, this mandate is immoral and should be criminal. I've actually been finding it emotionally difficult to do this show lately because of the pure irrationality and insanity being loudly foisted upon us by fascist politicians. It raises my blood pressure in having to address and explain things that should be common sense, all the while realizing that our politicians are utterly destroying what was once our free nation. Right now, ladies and gentlemen, our own politicians are our worst enemies and must be recognized as such. This one from my own paper, the London Free Press, on July 22nd. The headline reads, Mandatory Masks in Public Places Least We Could Do. And I quote, Counselors, all wearing their own cloth masks, spoke passionately about the need of a blanket mask rule in hopes of protecting Londoners and others in the city, describing it as a reasonable expectation in light of a global pandemic and potential second wave, end quote. I I can't even get through this article without having to stop at almost every sentence. First, it is not reasonable, given the facts that we now know and understand. And there is no global pandemic relating to SARS-CoV-2, given both the fraudulent statistics and the fact that many other flu viruses kill far more people annually than this virus ever has and passing any kind of rights violation laws over a prediction made by people who've been 100% wrong on their past predictions and on a potential that no one can possibly measure or predict with any certainty is insanity. Quote, A new exemption was added to the bylaw to allow masks to be removed specifically for rituals during a religious service such as taking communion. End quote. Are you effing kidding me? Once you start allowing exemptions, you've defeated the whole purpose of passing your law entirely. These people seem to have no idea of how a virus spreads. This is sheer fascism and intimidation. Quote, Let's sacrifice a bit. Let's do our part. Wear a mask, said Ward 8 Councillor Steve Lehman, quote. Well, our politicians have already sacrificed thousands of lives to save one or two by doing their part. Quote, Ward 10 councillor Paul Van Meerbergen said the bylaw would be worth it, if it even prevented one death or long-term illness, end quote. <laughs> Can't believe it. What little respect I once had for Van Meerbergen's political views went out the window with this one. This is so irrational a position to take. It is difficult to take anyone who thinks this way seriously about anything anymore. That argument would make shutting down every road and highway in the country a legitimate thing to do. You could put anything in that category. It's utterly irrational and insane. Quote, The lone opponent to the bylaw was Ward 1 counselor Michael Van Holst, who has a history of bizarre claims, especially as it relates to science and health. The former high school teacher has argued against water fluoridation and believes climate change is little cause for concern because it's exaggerated. He described the masking bylaw as an attack on freedom and claimed council was moving toward the totalitarian views of the World Health Organization. The allegation went largely unchecked. The bottom line, if you're inside a public space, you've got to put on a mask. There are exemptions for those who are doing physical activity, eating in a restaurant, getting a facial, as well as those with an underlying medical condition or disability, end quote. And here again, You can't have exemptions if you believe for a minute that masks are the solution to the whole problem. You've defeated the whole purpose of wearing a mask in the first place by allowing these crazy exemptions. Never mind all the things we've already said about masks. Quote, you could run the risk of a fine anywhere between $500 and $10,000 a day. But City Hall stresses that education will be the number one goal, meaning warnings instead of tickets are likely initially. Yeah, initially. This is criminal. It is fascist to the core. $10,000 a day? How the hell is that calculated, and on what premise? This is pure, unadulterated thuggery. It is also an outright lie when they say that education is their goal. You do not educate with threats of force and fines. If education were the goal, then we would be educated that masks don't work in preventing community spreads and viruses, along with all the other things that go on the medical side of this. But they're not educating us about SARS, no. They're educating us about the fact that they've got a gun and we don't. Quote, Councillor Maureen Cassidy, who chairs the Board of Health, added, requiring masks inside is the least we could do as a council, end quote. My lord. As a council, this council is the worst I've ever seen in my entire lifetime of having lived in London, Ontario. They have utterly destroyed our city's downtown and business district, which has been looking like a COVID-19 shutdown area for years now. And I cannot think of a single good thing that London City Council has done for so many years now, I just stopped paying attention. They're too busy killing businesses and fighting climate change and pushing for unsustainable mass transit schemes. And apart from continually raising property taxes... That's just about all they ever do. Only one member of London city council showed any independence of thought. Michael Van Holst, who is quite correct in recognizing the law as an attack on freedom and claimed that council was moving towards its totalitarian views on the World Health Organization. He was also correct in his assessment of the fictional and manufactured climate change crisis, which is in essence no different than the COVID-19 fictional and manufactured pandemic crisis. Both campaigns were, in fact, created to change the climate, our political and social climate, from a free society to a totalitarian and controlled one. Yet those who are on the right side of this issue are being ridiculed and shamed for adopting a viewpoint different from the ignorant masses. For example, letter to the editor, July 23rd, by G. Phillips. Enjoy responsibility, says the headline. Regarding making masks mandatory in public place, the least we could do as a council, Councillor Michael Van Holt thinks having to wear a mask for the safety of others was an attack on personal freedom. I feel the same way as I speed down the left side of the road after having had a few drinks, cell phone in hand, and no seatbelt. Freedom! quote. Now this is typical of the mindless, altruist collectivist among us. Having to wear a mask is indeed an attack on personal freedoms, especially given all the exemptions which allow some people to manage the minute activities of other individuals who should be allowed their own freedom of association and be allowed to take their own risks on their own merits. And over such things as ritual religious ceremonies, and all of the other silly and purposely confusing specific activities that politicians make up and exempt as they go along. What, making exemptions like allowing you to remove your mask to eat or drink? I mean, that speaks not only to the utter irrationality and evil of these mandates, but it is a loud proclamation that they actually think they have a permanent right to violate our rights. Are they really telling us that without their exemption, we would all be forced to eat and drink through the mask? Holy smokes, this is where this is going. To say nothing of breathing itself, which can be extremely difficult for a great many people. Constitutions are supposedly written in a free society to specifically prevent these kinds of arbitrary laws from ever being passed in the first place. And Mr. Phillips comparing the forced wearing of masks to speeding or driving on the wrong side of the road or not wearing a seatbelt, etc., complete non sequitur. Each of those activities threaten the life of the person who's taking those risks and are not being done as an altruistic sacrifice to save the lives of others, even if that happens to be a secondary consequence. I don't stop from going down the left-hand side of the road because I'm concerned about other people. I do it because I'm concerned about me. Hello? But being personally forced to wear a mask is, as its altruist proponents insist, Not about saving your life, but the lives of others. And ironically, it does neither. There is no evidence or proof of this, whatever. It is mere superstition, and we've been documenting that for weeks and weeks now. It's interesting to note that the government's strategy with respect to mandatory masking is identical to their disastrous long-term care home strategy. Leave the vulnerable exposed and quarantine the young and healthy. People with conditions that are in the category of those who need to be protected, are the very ones exempt from having to wear a mask. It's irrational. I still think they should be exempt. But it destroys the logic of the politicians. Of course, the reality is that even politicians seem to subconsciously realize that you can't just morally justify forcing those with health conditions to wear masks, and so they exempt them. In a complete reversal of quarantine principles, where you usually... Quarantine the sick and vulnerable, not the healthy and practically invulnerable. Of course, this whole issue is not really about health, it's about power. As Canadian constitutional lawyer Rocco Galati noted in regard to his filing of a constitutional challenge in the Ontario Superior Court, seeking declaratory and injunctive relief against the COVID-19 measures, quote, The masking laws are a means of obedience, a potent crop to ensure obedience and compliance. The scientific community has an avalanche of evidence that masks don't work, end quote. And as we argued last week and in so many shows prior to that, the latest government policies requiring the mandatory wearing of masks are no longer about COVID-19, but about fascist political authorities demanding our submission. And I am pleased to note that I am far from being alone in arriving at this conclusion. Vernon Coleman is an English author, columnist, and former general practitioner. He's written over 100 books, including works about human health, politics, cricket, and animal issues, and a range of novels. And here he is from his July 20th YouTube posting entitled, We Are the Victims of the Greatest Crime in History.
2: I'm afraid there's no point in our hoping that things are going to return to normal. They aren't. Our enemies have made their move and the war that they've started isn't going to be over in weeks or months and make no mistake we're in a war my apologies if this sounds depressing but i can't see any point in pretending that things are all going to be hunky-dory in a matter of weeks only if we accept that this is a war will we be prepared and able to defend ourselves and to defeat the enemy government ministers will offer promises and assurances but it will all be fake part of the misinformation they've been feeding as part of the psychological operation to unsettle us with promises and disappointments. We are living in the worst of times. It's always difficult to say that, of course. What about the First World War or the Second World War or the Hundred Years' War or the American Revolution, the American Civil War or the Plague? All terrible times. But there's something especially strange about these times. Usually, When there's a war or a major conflict, we know the identity of our enemy. We have leaders we can trust. Well, trust a little anyway. But this time it's different. Our leaders globally, nationally and locally are our enemy. Governments all over the world have been bought and are now controlled by global organisations such as the United Nations, the World Health Organisation and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They want to take from us everything we value and to turn us into slaves. In previous conflicts, we could count on the military to protect us. Not now, today the military are also the enemy. Under orders from governments which have betrayed the people, their job is to suppress the truth to protect the lies. Politicians and their advisors have lost touch with the science, the truth and reality. And sadly, we cannot rely on the media to expose dishonesty, oppression and injustice. Today the mainstream media is siding with our oppressors. They're promoting dishonesty and endorsing injustice and they've encouraged millions to become mortally afraid of death. The time to prepare for bad times is when no one else is panicking. The zombies are hunkered down waiting for their vaccine. But we have one huge advantage. We've got some idea what's in store for us. Nothing is ever going to be as it was. For the time being, the men and women in black hats, the bad guys, have taken over. But it occurred to me yesterday that I was beginning to get a little confused about what had happened with the coronavirus hoax. It's been going on for so long. And it seemed that it would be helpful to write a few words explaining the story so far. For the closer you examine it, the less believable it becomes. And in a strange way, the more believable. A bloke working at Imperial College in London scared the living daylights out of millions by predicting that 600,000 people might die in the UK alone we were we were told about to be devastated by a plague-like illness that would devastate the world in a way not seen since the Spanish flu a hundred years earlier the media led the panic as they usually do and within days people were cancelling holidays and panic buying toilet rolls soap and loaves of bread the stock market had a nervous Breakdown down, collapsed in a corner, as it always does at times like this, and the chap called Ferguson, who had started all the excitement and was apparently a sort of cross between a mathematician and an astrologer, was interviewed and quoted everywhere, sharing his gloomy predictions. People hung on his every word, and the BBC and the newspapers encouraged us to be terrified. On the 28th of February, I reported that we'd been told that masks weren't much good. At this point, back in February, I was puzzled by the fuss being made over what seemed to be, to be no more toxic than the flu. So I decided to look a little closer. When I examined the figures that were available, it was immediately blindingly obvious that something wasn't right. I expressed my doubts on my website right from the start, and pointed out that according to the World Health Organization, it was not unusual for 650,000 people to die of flu in a single season. I started looking for a hidden agenda and came up with several. On the 28th of February, 2020, I suggested that the virus might be being used to soften us up for a compulsory vaccination. I was inevitably considered to be a lunatic. On March the 2nd, I pointed out that the mortality figures which were being quoted were wrong because the authorities were only identifying the people who had the disease in a bad way. They weren't counting the thousands of people who had the disease but weren't very ill. And the panic continued to grow. I predicted that governments would use the crisis to create a cashless society and to get rid of old people. Governments also appeared to panic and in the UK the coronavirus was made a notifiable disease. Within days, doctors everywhere were warning that old people would have to be left to die because the virus was going to kill millions and every hospital bed would be needed for young coronavirus patients. On March the 7th, I reported that people had been cheering at the prospect of old people dying in huge numbers. It will clear... Hospital beds, said one commentator. I was reminded of bird flu and swine flu. I'd dismissed the scare stories about those two diseases at the time, but the authorities had made dramatic claims. The World Health Organization had claimed that the bird flu would kill up to 150 million people. I said that was rubbish. In the end, the bird flu killed less than 500 people. The UK government claimed that swine flu would kill 65,000 in 2009 and spent 500 million pounds on medicines that had to be thrown away. Again, the total number of deaths didn't reach 500. It wasn't until a little later that I discovered that those wildly inaccurate predictions had been made by Professor Ferguson of Imperial College London, a college heavily funded by the vaccine-loving Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Ferguson had also made absurdly inaccurate predictions about mad cow disease. He'd predicted up to uh, 150,000 could die, but the total was 177. And it was Imperial College which made terrible predictions about foot and mouth disease. Ferguson's forecast, later described as severely flawed, Led to six million animals being killed unnecessarily and cost the UK £10 billion. Despite knowing all this history, the governments in the UK and the USA, and indeed much of the rest of the world, listened to Ferguson's predictions, accepted them with enthusiasm, and introduced lockdowns and anti social distancing. Angry at the way people were being terrified by a disease which was clearly no more deadly than the flu, I made a video for YouTube on 18th of March. I called it Coronavirus Scare, the hoax of the century. I've had a lot of abuse over the years, mainly from people hired by drug companies, but this time the abuse was phenomenal, deliberate and cold-blooded. And I became the subject of a sneering, libelous smear campaign so vicious that I regret making that video more than anything else I've ever done. I wonder how many people are put off speaking out because of the viciousness of the mindless, ignorant trolls and fake so-called fact-checkers who hide behind stupid fake names, dribble on their keyboards, stalk the Internet and attempt to smother the truth with transparent lies.
0: That again was Vernon Coleman who in that same YouTube presentation went on to say that he's located and identified many of his online abusers and smear campaigners. He went so far as to remind everyone who posts something online that it can always be traced if someone has a mind to do so. And it was funny when he actually identified one of his tormentors in the video and warned him that it was too late for him to put his house in his wife's name. (laughs) Good for you, Mr. Coleman. Well, tragically, the majority of the world's citizens are oblivious to what's happening around them and to them. The same social condition existed prior to every attack upon a civilization, whether from without or from within. And, you know, it's kind of depressing and demoralizing to hear someone say that there's no point in hoping that things are going to return to normal. But it appears to be true nonetheless. And I agree with Coleman when he says that we are in a war. And only recognizing this will we be able to fight and defeat our enemy because the bad guys have taken over. And as loath as I am to admit it, more and more the evidence seems to be pointing in the direction of a planned effort to force vaccines on the majority of the population. Although that's just one of the many forces at play here. And that's one of the reasons I'm putting the vaccine debate on the back burner for the time being to return at a later date when we can do justice to that issue by giving it the due time and consideration it requires. Because this is a big one. But right now, there is a more immediate urgency to deal with. Our own politicians and healthcare bureaucrats. But think about this for a minute. The World Health Organization predicted bird flu would kill 150 million when it actually killed less than 500 people. The UK government claimed swine flu would kill 65,000 people in 2009, But again, it was less than 500. All the predictions made by Professor Ferguson at the Imperial College in London were heavily funded by the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, which again brings us back to the vaccine thing that we'll have to look at later. And then there's Ferguson's predictions about mad cow disease, where 150,000 could die, but the actual total was 177. I mean, these are not just minor variations. These are... Huge beyond any belief. No wonder Vernon Coleman calls it the hoax of the century, to say nothing about the science and medical part of the equation. And what we have to ask is how come our politicians, healthcare bureaucrats and media, are not on top of these outrageous and irrational predictions? I mean, we're already seeing the same prediction versus outcome results with regard to the coronavirus, but they still carry on, unaffected by the reality of the situation. How do they justify their actions? (laughs) Well, you guessed it, just by making yet another prediction. A second wave, which hasn't happened, which may never happen, but which is the next topic that we'll be hearing Vernon Coleman address as we go into our next bumper break. And on the return side of our upcoming bumper break, we'll be hearing the voice of someone who is a new discovery to me, Polly St. George. She's a Canadian YouTuber who operates under the name of The Amazing Polly. And does she ever raise an amazing and disturbing question in regards to the COVID-19 crisis? It's powerful. But first, here again is Vernon Coleman.
2: And governments are warning of a second wave. Lockdowns are being reintroduced. And in the UK, the wearing of masks in shops is going to be compulsory. When the disease was allegedly at its worst, masks were considered unnecessary. But as the number dying fell so it was felt that we needed to be kept frightened until the vaccine was ready masks were recommended as a good way to remind us to remain fearful and look very silly in mid-july it appeared that the virus had unprecedented powers if you catch a disease you'll usually acquire immunity but not it seems with covid19 though this claim was previously dismissed It was again announced that immunity to Covid-19 mysteriously disappears after a few months. The answer, of course, will be repeated vaccinations. Maybe we will need vaccinations four times a year. Maybe we'll be told we need a vaccination every month. The UK government has so far agreed to buy 190 million doses of vaccine. The population of the UK is less than a third of that. Vaccine company shares are going to soar. What a massive surprise that will be. And that, I fear, is what it's all about. Not one vaccination, not annual vaccinations, but vaccinations several times a year. If the science appears to have gone mad, so too are the rules, the regulations, the laws. The rules now are unutterably stupid, incomprehensible and indefensible. If you told me they'd been written by a five-year-old donkey, I'd believe you. The entire world appears to be run by people who are at least one sandwich and a bottle of fizzy pop short of a picnic. You can go into a pub, but not into a bowling alley. You can have your hair permed and your nails varnished, but physiotherapy departments are still closed. If the idea is to keep people confused, miserable and damn near suicidal, then it's all working brilliantly well. We are living in a manufactured nightmare. This is either the most unlikely, badly managed epidemic in the history of the world, or it is, as I described it in my video made on March the 18th, the hoax of the century, with hidden reasons behind what's happened. If it's the former then we need to sack and arrest everyone involved in the de- decision making process. And we need to halt all the mask wearing the anti social distancing nonsenses still being forced on us. If it's the latter, then we need to sack and arrest everyone involved in the de- decision making process. We need to halt all the mask wearing and the anti social distancing nonsenses still being forced on us. And we need an independent judicial inquiry into who is behind a commercial and political operation which can only be described as genocide. Back in February, I said I thought that the hoax might be part of a plan to introduce compulsory vaccination. One large drug company claims it expects to have made two billion doses of a vaccine by September. Will that vaccine be compulsory? What testing will have been done? And how frequently will they tell us we must be vaccinated this nightmare gets more scary every day back in march i described what was happening as a hoax i now describe it as the greatest crime in history anyone who watches this and doesn't see the truth either works for a government and doesn't care about himself his family or the truth or is a dribbling dead-eyed zombie who dwells in the dark watches BBC programmes and thinks that Bill Gates is a good, kind person who wants to save the world, rather than the grinning psychopath whose plan is to gain world domination and who makes the world James Bond, the worst James Bond baddie, looks like a benevolent Father Christmas.
3: Does the handling of this virus amount to torture? On the face of it, it might seem like a ridiculous question, and I can already hear the objections to it, but I'm gonna take you through evidence from an Amnesty International report from 1975 where they took a deep look at torture, what constitutes it, what it does to people, and what methods actual torturers have used in this thing called no-touch torture. It's psychological torture. It's mental torture. In fact, I think you will come to the conclusion that yes, indeed, the responses to this coronavirus in many regions of the world do in fact amount to torture. Let's begin by looking at excerpts from this 1975 Amnesty International Report on Torture. Page 34 where they are going through the four elements of torture. They say that at least two persons must be involved, the torturer and a victim or victims, and that the victim is under the physical control of the torturer. They move to the second element, which is the basic one of the infliction of acute pain and suffering. Definitions that would limit torture to physical assaults on the body exclude mental and psychological torture, which undeniably causes acute pain and suffering. So they say those two elements must be incorporated in any definition. The third element of torture, identified in the Amnesty International Report on Torture, says that the intention of the torturer must be to make the victim submit, to break his will, and destroy his humanity. And finally, they say, torture implies a systematic activity with a rational purpose. The definition of torture adopted here is, torture is the systematic and deliberate infliction of acute pain in any form by one person on another or on a third person in order to accomplish the purpose of the former against the will of the latter. The coercive technique for psychological torture. Induced, dependency, debility, and dread. So let's look at that. First part, debility, physical weakness. For centuries, questioners have employed various methods of inducing physical weakness. Prolonged constraint, prolonged exertion, extremes of heat, cold, or moisture, and deprivation of sleep. The assumption is that lowering the subject's physiological resistance will lower his psychological capacity for resistance. They say here, However, there's been no scientific investigation of this assumption. That is absolutely not true. They go on. Many psychologists consider the threat of inducing debility to be more effective than debility itself. Prolonged constraint or exertion, sustained deprivation of food or sleep, often become patterns to which the subject adjusts, and then he becomes apathetic, withdrawing into himself in search of escape from the discomfort or tension. In this case, debility would be counterproductive. Another coercive technique is to manipulate the subject's environment to disrupt patterns, not to create them, such as arranging meals and sleep should be granted irregularly, in more than abundance, or in less than adequacy. or No discernible time pattern. This is done to disorient the subject and destroy his capacity to resist. As you're listening, I hope you're reflecting this on our current situation. Nobody can deny that that is what's happened with lockdown, with uh, mask wearing, with social distancing. Once stability is achieved, they can induce a, a dependency back onto the torturer. The victim is helplessly dependent upon the torturer for the satisfaction of all basic needs. Seems obvious how that applies to our current situation. And finally, once the chronic stress phase is reached, the victim goes into a sense of dread, intense fear and anxiety. Sustained long enough, a strong fear of anything vague or unknown induces regression. I argue that in our current situation with the coronavirus torture, what they want from their victims, all of us, is basically for us to regress to a childlike state Because the only thing they want from us is for us to blindly obey them. They don't need answers from us. They need exactly nothing from us. They just want to control us completely.
0: You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And I must congratulate the amazing Polly for having made it so startlingly clear what is happening to us, irrespective of the many reasons why. She's nailed it. And we'll continue to do so in our upcoming bumper break as well. It only gets better. But before we get back to that, first a few observations and points regarding what we have heard thus far. What Pauly St. George has outlined here with respect to the actual coercive techniques for psychological torture is a powerful weapon. First, for those suffering from the very symptoms that are being described, it offers a cause and a specific identification of what and how those symptoms are being induced. It's like finding out the actual cause of your disease, even though you already have some vague ideas of what might be causing your symptoms. That kind of knowledge is a great starting point for being able to do something about it. And second, we can use these identified course of techniques as an additional tool to call our politicians out on their actions in this regard. They should understand what they are doing to us in these terms of reference. It would be very powerful. And third, knowing what is happening to us when it happens allows us to resist by by being unduly affected by it. To say nothing of the other things you might learn about your torturer once you are armed with the knowledge of what he's doing. And I found the concluding sentences of Polly St. George's last audio bite to be profound. Quote, I argue that in our current situation with the coronavirus torture, what they want from their victims is basically for us to regress into a childlike state because the only thing they want from us is for us to blindly obey them. They don't need answers from us. They need exactly nothing from us. They just want to control us completely, End quote. And you'll recall that the title and theme of our last week broadcast was Remasking Fascism and COVID's Politics of Submission. And all the elements of torture raised by Pauly fit perfectly into this scenario. And we would be wise to learn them. First, with regard to the four principles of torture. I mean, you have to have at least two parties involved. The torturer and victim. And of course, in this case, that would be the government versus the citizen. Number two, an infliction of acute pain and suffering. Mental and psychological is essential. Well, the lockdown itself caused this, which is why they want to continue it what other reason would there be? Please don't tell me you think a second wave is coming and that would possibly justify destroying our economy even further than we've done so. The third one is the intention of the torture must be to make the victim submit. Well, there's our theme again. And to break his will and destroy his humanity. Well, that's what all the mask wearing and social distancing is about. It's all about submission. Submission, submission, submission. And fourth, a systematic activity with a rational purpose. Always talking about systemic things, aren't we? Then the definition of torture is the systemic and deliberate affliction of acute pain in any form by one person on another in order to accomplish the purpose of the former against the will of the latter. Here again, what's it all about? Submission. And then there are the three coercive techniques or psychological torture. One, an induced dependency, debility, and dread, leaving the threat more effective than the actuality. And that's why we're seeing all these government handouts and COVID subsidies. They put the very people being harmed by these measures and made them dependent on their torturers. Number two, manipulate the subject's environment to disrupt patterns, not to create them. Oh boy, oh boy, have we been living through that since the second week in March? It disorients the subject and destroys capacity to resist. You know, hence this never ending uncertainty and unpredictability regarding business and commercial activity. We can't keep going on like this with with them having the ability to just call another shutdown anytime they want or chase us around with masks or force, of all things, vaccines on us. No way. And then, of course, number three. Maintain a strong fear of anything vague or unknown because it induces regression, which pretty much explains all of the irrational rules and regulations, doesn't it? Here again, Polly St. George on how they torture us with COVID-19 propaganda and threats.
3: Earlier, we mentioned Biderman. So we look at Biderman's chart of coercion. Isolation, monopolization of perception, induced debility and exhaustion, threats, occasional indulgences, demonstrating omnipotence, degradation, and enforcing trivial demands. Did you recognize any of those in what we're going through right now? Isolation, are they doing that to us? It's obvious that they are. They've got us in self-isolation. They even use that word. The other examples of this that we are going through right now are the travel quarantines, the social circles that in my province they're trying to get you to write out ten people that they will allow you to see without any restrictions. Let's move on to monopolization of perception. What comes to my mind with monopolization of perception is the 24-7 news cycle and the censorship of any opposing voices. I think of their repeated phrases that they are all using and that they're putting on signage and social media, the troll armies, the sock puppet armies that go out and they just amplify the message of the torturers. They talk about monopolization of perception being Physical isolation as well. So we're, that brings back the self isolation issue. They guilt trip us with, you've brought this on yourselves, you're killing people with your selfishness. And they mentioned barren environments, restricted movement, monotonous food. Well, the shutdowns of the businesses make a barren environment. They Don't let us cross borders in some cases. We're not allowed in stores. They've closed restaurants, and that's monotonous food. We've had food shortages. That's monotonous food. They've closed gyms, hospitals, and clinics. And that would be number three, induced debility and exhaustion. If you can't look after yourself, you're going to be debilitated and weakened mentally and physically. They mention semi-starvation, exposure, exploitation of wounds. And for those, I can think of the food shortages, the closures of restaurants, the not getting together with your family. Some people are dependent on family dinners or meals on wheels. So semi-starvation, it may not be as dramatic for most of us as it is for some of us, but I think it still could be considered a feature of this lockdown. Exposure, which for a prisoner of war would be something like being left freezing cold, For us, it's the outdoor lineups out in the elements. I was lined up in the snow. I was lined up in the rain. I have been lined up in the beating sun with no relief. Why aren't they putting shelters anywhere? I mean, maybe it's just where I am, but there's not a single business that asks you to line up outside, which has provided even a tent cover. You know, those those things people use at art fairs and that? They're not even even providing that for people. Exploitation of wounds, I think, is the contact tracing. They tell you you've tested positive. Even if you're showing no symptoms, they can tell you you've tested positive. And then they exploit that. They exploit your diagnosis to put you in this contact tracing STASI tracking system. Sleep deprivation. Sleep deprivation comes from the stress we're all feeling. Many people have told me that they have not been able to sleep a full night or they wake up startled, you know, when you have bad anxiety and you wake up suddenly. Prolonged constraint, prolonged interrogation. What do they mean by prolonged? This was supposed to be 15 days to stop the spread, if you recall. Then it was 30 days to stop the spread. And how long is it now? They've given up even using that catchphrase because obviously it would be embarrassing for them at this point. Threats is the next category. It cultivates anxiety and despair. Well, there's threats all over the place from this thing. Let me start here. These are a collection. This is a collection of headlines. More will die unless people stay home, says Mayor Sadiq Khan. 250,000 will die unless stricter virus measures are adopted, warns scientists. Fauci warns COVID-19 cases could surge if stay-home orders lifted too quickly. Fulford Head warns people, more people will die unless social distancing happens. Restarting America means people will die, so when do we do it? Who warns of more deaths if lockdown is lifted? Think how often they've reiterated a second wave might come. If you don't do this, more people will die. You are putting immunocompromised people at risk with your selfishness and you're going to cause massive suffering if you don't do what we say. So yes, threats are a main feature of this torture and coercion from the COVID response. There's other threats too, that your children will be removed if you test positive and haven't made other arrangements. They threaten us that we're all going to have to take this vaccine, the likes of which has never been seen before, these RNA vaccines, and that the vaccines might have tracking chips or ID chips in them. These are threats. Saying that this is the new normal is a threat, that they're never going to give us back full access to our liberties that we had only five months ago the threat of going to the hospital, the threat of getting sick and being pulled into this diabolical system as a patient. Now you're a COVID patient. Now what's going to happen? We've got more. In this Biderman's chart of coercion. Occasional indulgences. Fluctuations of interrogators' attitudes. Yes, that comes into play when we look at how they treated the BLM protests and the Pride protests, where they've actually said that BLM protests didn't spread COVID. That's what they've told us. And yet, flip that around, whether you like him or not, they've said Trump rallies are dangerous and shouldn't be held because of the risk of spreading covid and we can see this with all kinds of things why are we allowed in walmart and the liquor store but we're not allowed in mom and pop shops so these are the indulgences but they're giving them to themselves and their corporate partners mostly they give rewards for partial compliance we can get things back if we just agree to wear masks we can get things back if we just agree to always and forever continue Social distancing. And they're going to come along with their, you can get to travel if you take the vaccine. This is on the chart of coercion. And coercion is another word for torture. Number six, demonstrating omnipotence. Well, obviously they've done that. They shut down the entire world economy. And they had corporations eating out of their hands. Or was it the corporations that did this in the first place? There's certainly an argument to be made about that. Omnipotence is when you can be a war criminal, practically, not even a doctor. And everyone refers to you as Dr. Tedros of the World Health Organization, and we should all listen to you. That's omnipotence. If you can go to that level where nobody questions you in spite of your record, and you can lay down rules for the world, that's pretty omnipotent. Degradation, number seven. Makes cost of resistance appear more damaging to self-esteem than capitulation. Yes, I don't want to wear a mask, but guess what? We'll punish you more. You, Even if you don't get sick, we'll punish you for not wearing a mask. It says, reduces prisoner to animal level concerns. And it's true. How many people stocked up on toilet paper and food and firewood and things like that? We were concerned mainly with survival And it is so sad that in the Western world, this handful of public health activists and some corporations and some NGOs, they've reduced us to that. Closure of salons and only allowing us to buy essential items, that degrades us. The mobbing, the deplatforming, the name-calling, that's degrading. Masking is degrading. Social distancing is degrading. Young people directing old people on how to line up Or where to stand in stores, that's degrading. Separation of ourselves from our loved ones, that's degrading. Holding our elders hostage in nursing homes, that's extremely degrading. And number eight, finally, enforcing trivial demands. This develops in the victim a habit of compliance. Well, almost everything that I've said already today is the enforcement of trivial demands. Stand six feet apart. Follow the arrows. Go in and out of certain doors. Show support. Get out there and clap and cheer and call grocery store clerks, hero first responders, or else you will face social consequences. There's all kinds of things. I think it's clear that... The steps they are taking in the name of COVID-19 amount to coercion, which amounts to torture. Torture is the systematic and deliberate infliction of acute pain in any form, so mental or psychological, too, by one person on another or on a third person in order to accomplish the purpose of the former against the will of the latter. I want to close with this because it addresses another objection I'm sure some will be thinking upon reading this, and that is that we have to do this. It's for the greater good. Well, Amnesty International had this to say when talking about torture. Those who consciously justify torture and are not candid enough to state that they use it to defend their own power and privilege, rely essentially on the philosophic argument of a lesser evil for a greater good. They reinforce this with an appeal to the doctrine of necessity. The existential situation, COVID, forces them to make a choice between two evils. Allow freedom and liberty and have the virus spread? Or lock everyone down, take everyone's freedom and choices and financial well-being and relationships away, and maybe fewer people will get sick. That's what they're presenting to us, and some people are buying it. Look at this comment I saw on Twitter. These selfish jerks who refuse to wear masks and actively thwart the greater good have always existed. Trump just emboldened them and the pandemic exposed our darkest flaw. Individualism, me, 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 over collectivism, invest in the benefit of all citizens. They have put this collectivist mentality into so many people that in effect, the torturers are now being joined by by many of their victims who are helping them torture their other fellow citizens.
0: Wow. Pretty hard to top that, actually. That was getting downright Randian. The contrast between a collectivist mentality and individualism, the use of altruism as a technique of torture and manipulation, and last but not least, how our fellow citizens are turned into Gestapo agents and informants, if you'll pardon the historical comparison. Now, just as I was winding down today's show, I received from a number of you a link to a most startling development that certainly touches upon our topic today, specifically in regards to what Paulie St. George called the monopolization of perception, that 24-7 news cycle and censorship of opposing voices in particular. This is from Breitbart, posted on July 27, 2020, with the heading, Facebook, Google, YouTube, Twitter, Censor Viral Video of Doctors Capitol Hill Coronavirus Press Conference. Just think about that headline alone. Quote, Facebook has removed a video posted by Breitbart News earlier today, which was the top-performing Facebook post in the world on Monday afternoon of a press conference in D.C. held by the group America's Frontline Doctors and organized and sponsored by the Tea Party Patriots. The press conference featured Republican Ralph Norman and frontline doctors sharing their views and opinions on coronavirus and the medical response to the pandemic. YouTube, which is owned by Google, and Twitter subsequently removed footage of the press conference as well the video accumulated over 17 million views during the eight hours it was hosted on Facebook with over 185,000 concurrent viewers, end quote.
2: We're here because we feel as though the American people have not heard from all the expertise that's out there all across our country. So some of us decided to get together. We're America's frontline doctors. We're here only to help American patients and the American nation heal. This does not make sense. COVID-19 is a virus. There's treatment. That's what we're here to tell you.
0: The good news is a video of that censored conference is still available at Breitbart.com. And I'm telling you, every single person in the world should watch it. Like so many other videos released by frontline doctors over the past several months that were taken down by the media manipulators, their testimonies and observations, if widely known and understood, would bring down this entire house of cards called the Hoax of the Century by Vernon Coleman. After I heard what these doctors said, there cannot possibly be any doubt that everything we've been talking about on the show today represents precisely what is going on. Most disturbing was the revelation of the fact that 49 out of 50 states had banned the use of hydroxychloroquine for the treatment of COVID-19. A treatment that is, as we've been saying on this show since day one on this topic, 100% effective if used properly. There was a doctor there who testified to over 350 patients that she took through this process with 100% success. You must watch this video and share it with everyone you know by whatever means available since clearly this is devastating news to every single politician and public health care bureaucrat. No wonder it was taken down by their allies in torture. You can bet we'll be featuring this one on an upcoming show. But before I wrap it up, I want to leave you with this haunting thought posted to Twitter on July 25th by actor James Woods. Quote, Remember that feeling you got when the second plane hit the Twin Towers and you realized what was going on, you should have that same feeling again right now. End quote. And after hearing some of what has been said on today's show, I hope that you've got a similar feeling about the COVID-19 shutdown, because until that epiphany is experienced by a significant majority, the torture will just continue, with the sanction of its victims. And all you Ayn Rand fans know what that expression means. For now, it looks like we'll have to accept Vernon Coleman's gloomy perspective as expressed in his opening comments early in the show, and I quote, I'm afraid there's no point in our hoping that things are going to be returning to normal. They aren't. Our enemies have made their move, and the war they've started isn't going to be over in weeks or months. And make no mistake, we're in a war, end quote. So welcome to the New World Disorder, brought to you by the same ideology that hit the Twin Towers. Now when we next return, it will be the month of August, and that disorder will still be with us, and I'm here's hoping that you will be too, as you join us again next week, when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. And color, color it to black and white. Under the bad clothes, everything will be
1: alright. Hey, Clink, are you ready to hand them over to me? Major Hochstetter,
0: there is a new order coming, a new order which will sweep vermin like you into the delousing station of
1: history. <laughs> <laughs> You're under arrest. Schultz-
3: you're mad clink.
0: Take him away. <laughs>